0: Welcome to Stratford Lutherans Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon.
1: The first lesson for today is taken from Isaiah the 66th chapter beginning with the ver- with the 18th verse. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among their nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots, and in litters and on mules. And on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in the clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Our responsive reading is taken from Psalms 50. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Our God comes, he does not keep silence, before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth, and he judge Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. of your sacrifices you. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not for the world is full of stone Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice thanksgiving. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. The second lesson is taken from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all disciplines seem painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with with everyone and for the holiness without which no one see, will see the lord see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god that no root of bitterness spring up from spring up and causes trouble and by it may become defined, that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like esau who sold his right 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 for a single meal for you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance. To repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. If
0: you would please rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 13th chapter. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to. When once the master of the house has arisen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you evil worker, workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. The gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I remember when I was a young boy. Uh, my father was very adamant about me visiting uh, my great-grandmother. And as being a 8 or 9 or 10-year-old boy, I didn't want to go. It was not fun. It wasn't entertaining. It was, it was all stuffy, and I didn't want to hear stories of past lives. It wasn't entertaining to me. But for a good period of time, a good couple of years, my dad kept taking me and encouraging me to go and spend time. And it became the reality much later in life, the, the, the importance behind this. Because obviously my great grandmother passed away just a few short years later. And growing up in that, I have been fortunately blessed to not lose too many family members in my life. But one of those that really still sits in my head is that moment because my dad was so adamant, he was so close to her growing up, and he wanted to spend as much time in the last few years of her life as he could. And so as I put together my notes for this week, I kept coming to this notion of, have we missed opportunities to be with the people we love? Have we neglected spending time with those who are close to the end of their lives simply because we're too busy? Or simply because we've got something else to do. Our schedules are just jam-packed full of things. And I know my dad would push everything off the table that he could to have one more time with her. And I didn't see that until I was much older. Because, see, as a kid, you don't, you, you don't comprehend life and death. You don't, you don't understand the terms of, of these opportunities that we've been so blessed with. Because the morality of humans is that we will face death. That's the scripture. In fact, we had a funeral yesterday for Steven Anderson. The reality is so present in the back of our minds that it is so crucial that every breath we take is a step closer. But it's also an opportunity to be with the ones we love and more importantly to share the gospel of hope with those people. And so as I was pondering this concept of missed opportunities, it's not just focused on the possibilities of not being with somebody the moment they pass or not getting those last few days with them, but it could be a plethora of things. It could be a job opportunity, a promotion that we missed. In my early working career, I missed plenty of good promotions because I wasn't disciplined enough. I wasn't focused hard enough on the task to achieve that promotion. And so I missed them. And I'm sure everybody in here can probably attest to that very thing too. There were times and are times in your working life that you have looked back on and said, yeah, I could have done that better. I could have been more persistent in that moment. Another thing that really hits me hard is the, 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 difference of life between being a minister, a pastor, and what I did a number of years ago working in IT. I would get up at five in the morning, I'd go to work, I'd sit in my desk for nine hours, and then I'd come home, and I'd get home about six o'clock at night. And then I would see my daughter for two hours before we, she went to bed. Two hours a day. And so I missed a lot of her early years In fact, the first year and a half, I I really felt like I just wasn't quite there all the time. And so it was like when these milestones came, I was like shocked because I'm like, I feel like I was just holding her in my hands at the hospital. I had missed opportunities because work was more important. But being a pastor, it's much different. My work is not structured in a nine-to-five concept. It's, It's 24 hours a day. And it comes and goes, some weeks are busier and other weeks are a little slower. But the interesting thing is is now that I'm here in this wonderful community, I get to watch both of my children grow. And so now I'm sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for Isaiah to start walking because it felt like just like a blink of an eye that Graceland went from being very stationary as a baby to never stopping. And now Esai is in that in-between state How about missing opportunities in investments? That's an interesting thing, right? We don't talk about money very often, but this is kind of something that Janae had thought of. You know, if we turn the clock back in America some number of years, there was the big dot-com explosion in the 90s that many people made a lot of money on. And those who invested in the right companies, Apple and Microsoft, and some of the tech companies like Nvidia, they made a lot of money because their shares were sold at such a cheap price that you could buy a bunch and it wouldn't really affect you. But then in ten years, twenty years, thirty years, you've got a million dollars. Multi multiple millions. In fact I had a coworker in my previous job had but always, always talking about this because he was so proud, and really kind of interesting, but so proud of this that he bought Nvidia when it was dirt cheap and then it shot up to like $200 a share. And he just would always tell you, "Oh, I got Nvidia when it was like $1.50. I'm like, great, congratulations. <laughs> Investments though, I mean, that's an interesting thing because we don't know what the next big thing will be. We don't wanna risk sometimes putting money into a company or something that seems to be on the right track, but then dissipates, and our money's gone. So we have missed opportunities with that. I mean, there's just this conversation that could go on and on and on for hours. But the reason I talk about this is the importance of the text that we see is just that. For those standing outside that door knocking, they've missed the opportunity for salvation they missed the call of the gospel. Let's dig into it. So we have this narrow door presented to us early in the text. Jesus is saying, strive to enter through this narrow door. Now, just to kind of survey this entire little chunk of scripture, this is, again, another difficult teaching that Jesus brings to us. right? Because just last week, we were given a real staunch command. And a couple of weeks ago, we were even given harder commands. And as we've kind of put this all together, we see how the Son of Man is coming at a time that we will not know. And it is not for us to be anxious or worried about it. But then we get to this. Because this text is very, very saturated. And again, apocalyptic literature. It's the end of times. What Jesus is pointing to is the day of judgment. And he's explicitly telling these people in the crowd, some of you will not make it in. Then he goes to say, strive to enter through the narrow door. That's an interesting notion because we see other pointings to or, or connections, analogies like that through the scripture. He tells the rich man it would be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, we have many travel the broad path of destruction, but few find the narrow road to salvation. So why does Jesus equate this, this salvation that he's preaching, this good news, to be in a narrow path? Because it's, it hinges on one very, very important concept. I'm not going to give it to you just yet. We'll wait a few minutes. So this door that Jesus explains, is this a, a physical door? I mean, we've got some pretty nice doors here. We could put, fit a few people through at a time. In fact, we could probably empty a whole church of 100 people in just a few minutes. Is that as narrow as we're talking, or are we going to have one of these smaller doors back here? Or is it going to be like a mouse door? Something that's carved out in the floorboard that you just you can't even get your hand in? How small? Is this something spiritually driven? Is it a metaphor for, for something else? Well, it's interesting as I was kind of talking in, with some of my friends, and I brought this topic to their attention, and we started to talk about the, the, the actual function of the narrow door. And so as a a Lutheran, we would see that as being a means or a metaphor. It's an analogy that Jesus is giving to describe how difficult salvation is. But yet, we also see how easy it is. Again, that one concept I'm going to hold on to to the very end. So this narrow door isn't something physical that we must traverse through, but it's the fact of the whole Christian life the entire scope is made up of that narrow door. Some of them had suggested, well, there are certainly some groups of Christians who think that you would enter that door via your good works, checking your fruit, making sure you're a good Christian. Now, I, I said it a numerous times, and, and I, I'm going to be saying it again here. There are things that the Christian does that are good, right, and holy and righteous and wonderful but they don't give us the salvation. See, coming to church is wonderful because you get to come and partake in the community of God and you get to be with the your community of believers and you get to lift one another up, you get to have conversation and fellowship with them and it brings your spirits to a new level. Coming to church is wonderful and it's an it's a need for the Christian. It's not even an encouragement. It's a need. Because without that, we, one, don't hear the gospel, and so faith isn't given to us. And two, we don't have the community of people to support us in our difficult times. So, as a pastor, it is my firm belief that being in church is, is a need, but it doesn't earn salvation, it's the result of salvation. It's the result of the yearning inside of you to know something more, to hear something deeper, to receive the faith. Luther says it all the time. I say it all the time. We have to hear the gospel every day because we forget it. That is why being in church is so important. But we shouldn't be very distinct in where it falls in that category. And the same thing goes to reading our Bibles. It's great to read and understand the messages being told. Praying is the same thing. Prayer is vital to the Christian health. It is our communication, our direct channel to God to go to Him and just unload all of our problems. Lord, I am at my wits end. Help me through this. Not just that, but prayer is exclamation, too. We can come to God and be like, Lord, I am beyond speechless. I am so blessed. I'm so thankful. And it can actually be both of those things at the very same time. But all of these works are wonderful and great, and they are vital to the Christian, but they're the result of salvation. And so they don't, they don't or can't be counted as action to enter the narrow door. Your church attendance, your prayer life, your Bible reading, your Bible studies, your, your attendance to VBS or your, your contributions to the church, all of these things well and great and wonderful and needed. Because without you, the church doesn't survive another week. Without you, we have nothing. And so you are the backbone to this church. But to understand the narrow door, it's very different than what most people will probably tell you. Again, I'm going to hold that one concept until the very end. It's it's going to be life-shattering, I promise. So Jesus goes on in this little conversation. Remember, we have this large crowd traveling with him. He's, He's approaching Jerusalem, and he's getting close to the end of his ministry. And then somebody in the crowd, we don't know who it is, somebody in the crowd shouts out, who will be saved? Will there only be a few, Lord. That's where we get then the, the the statement to the narrow door, to which again we will come back to. But Jesus then goes on and he, he gives us this this separation. He draws the line in the sand, and he says, when the master of the house comes home and shuts the door, you who are on the outside can't come in. You'll be begging and pleading and knocking at the door. But the Master will dismiss you and tell you, go away. As I was thinking about this, it really had the image of what Jesus fully demonstrates in Matthew 24 and 25, often known as the Olivet Discourse, the best picture painted in the Gospel accounts, in my opinion, of the the last days. And that leads us from what Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, is these things will happen in the history. And then in Matthew 25, we're giving parables of Judgment Day. And so in Matthew 24, we have many deceiving the Christians. We have many false teachers coming into the church and infiltrating the church. We have many heretics and, and people who are, who are out to disrupt the Christian faith. Jesus tells us, in that, we will see this carried on. And in fact, it doesn't take any time for those individuals to start coming. Peter fell victim to it. Paul chastised against the Judaizers in the first century. John wrote against the Photonostics, who would soon arise and then became what we would call as Gnosticism now, which is a really, really bad heresy. But see, it was just the first century, just shortly after the death of Christ, that all of these false teachers arose, kind of like clockwork. Jesus predicted it, it happened. But Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 and 25, he gives us this analogy of what will happen on Judgment Day. Now, we could talk eschatology all day long, we talk about the end of times and all that, and it's a fascinating topic, but... In Matthew 24, we're given a very specific detail from the very words of Jesus himself that on that last day, when nobody expects it, when nobody is ready for it, the skies will shatter open and you will hear a trumpet blast from heaven and then Jesus will come. And the dead who are in Christ will rise first and those who are still alive... Who believe in him will be caught up to heaven with him. So this entire text here in Luke thirteen is kind of just an early precursor to Luke twenty one, where we will have the Olivet discourse. And interestingly enough, it's always a text from that that we use when we start Advent series season. It's always a text we begin the life of Christ with the end of his, of time. So we will revisit this text here shortly in a few months. But he gives us uh, this, this really bold statement just shortly hereafter, after he closes the door and the, the master of the house who would be representing God in this short parable dismisses these people saying, Be gone from me, you workers of evil. That is a tough text to handle. Because it puts it in the back of our mind. Well, I, I certainly don't do any works of evil. I'm not a bad person. I'm nice to everybody. I have such a joyful heart and a smile on my face always. And I am ready to embrace everybody. We get prideful very quickly when we come to a text like this. But here's the difference. Jesus isn't talking about the sinful nature of the Christian. But he's talking about those who have rejected God entirely. The workers of evil. Scripture tells us, and I had just highlighted it, that there will be many who come and teach and preach a false gospel. Paul writes it in Galatians. He says, if somebody, if it's me or another angel, comes to you with another gospel, let them be amathematized. That's be cursed or be damned to hell. Let them be destroyed. Because another gospel is a gospel that doesn't save. So if you turn on the TV and you hear preachers talking about you as being the focus of what God is doing and you are going to step into your, your glory or, or your privilege or whatever the, the terminology of the week is for them, I quickly turn the channel. Because these are those who Jesus has described as preaching a different gospel. If the message doesn't include Christ dying for you, then it is not the gospel. Because if the focus isn't on Christ, then it's on us, the audience, the people listening and watching. And so Jesus makes it very pointed. Not only here in this text, but in many other places. Paul even writes it in Ephesians chapter 5 when he tells us to avoid the workers of evil, to avoid the things of the darkness, but also to expose them. To shine the light on them and say, this isn't proper Christian teaching. This goes against what Christ says. So the master of the house will tell them to be gone, you false teachers, you hypocrites, you evildoers. But here's the interesting thing, too. It's not just false teachers or or opponents to Christianity that Jesus is drawing the line in the sand against. It's the workers of selfish ambition, the people who strive to use their influence to better themselves, whether it's an influence in politics, whether it's an influence in their social status, their job, career, whatever it is. If they're looking to better themselves and they do so through the name of Christ, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe. But yet, they're the ones either hurting somebody else's life or damaging somebody else's livelihood for their own personal gain. And i I've struggled with this term to, to label these individuals as because I can't quite call them carnal Christians because let's face it, we're all carnal Christians. It's worldly Christians. We all have things that this world gives us that come from unbelievers. We have TVs and cars and we have our food that is made, our clothes on our back. And chances are, most of that stuff came from people who don't believe in the gospel. Not always. There are some great companies out there that are Christian-focused and, and gospel-ready. But the fact is, is we are a part of this world and so we use and utilize the things in this world. Medicine, Doctors, nurses, lawyers, all of these jobs that we rely on, police officers for safety, farmers for our food. Not every farmer in the world is a Christian, as much as I'd love to see that because they're fundamental to the existence of the human race. But Jesus also gives us this point, it's not just the false teachers, it's, it's the person who thinks they're going to climb the ladder via works righteousness, they're going to come to Jesus and say, look at all these things I did, I donated millions of dollars to the poor, I helped pass this bill that did this, and I helped to do that. And Jesus will tell him or her to be gone from me, you worker of evil. And so this is why, as a Christian, coming to church is important, because it builds upon your foundation as a believer. And if you have any, any questions about that, please come see me after church. I'd love to talk to you about it. Because there is certain tenets to the Christian faith that one must adhere to. And they cover a whole plethora of things. The Triune Godhead, Jesus Christ as Deity, Christology, all of these things. Come see me if you want to talk. But this is why being a part of the church is so vital because the times are increasingly evil. And coming to church is the only renewal of faith we have. Hearing the gospel over and over and over. In fact, if you have the opportunity I would encourage you to seek out Bible studies. I'm still preaching through the end of August at Athens Woods on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock. Come join me. Sunday night starting in September, we'll have every night we'll do a Bible study. And we're going to get really, really interesting topics here once we get through the book of Romans. The gospel must be heard so frequently because we forget it. But the beauty of the gospel is even if we forget it for a long period of time, days, weeks, months, years, it's still always there for us. And Jesus says, waiting to wrap his arms around us just as the prodigal son comes back to the father. So there's a very distinct difference that Jesus gives us between the workers of evil and the workers of righteousness. See, at the day of judgment, at the very end when that door closes, or in retrospect, the skies shatter open, that is the end of the law. There is no more righteous works that one can do There's no more obedience to the law that one can adhere to. There's nobody that can manipulate or corrupt anybody. Because on that day, if we read Matthew 24 and 25, we're given the parable of the separation of the sheep and goats. Christians who are the sheep will be ushered into eternity. The goats, who are the workers of evil, who are the false teachers, the heretics, those who reject the gospel those who focused on their self-righteous behavior, their morality, their whatever it may be, to earn them a trip to heaven will be the goat. They will be dismissed into the lake of fire. It's a hard text to deal with. Because it's very blunt. When Jesus says, in that place they will be gnashing of teeth and weeping. These people who are cast away into the lake of fire will experience that for eternity. There is no hope for them. That is why this opportunity that we have in this life, this very short time we are given in this life, we can be the light of this world in sharing that message. Because we once heard the good news that Christ forgives us And Christ holds us and loves us and calls us His own. In fact, the church is equated to being the bride of Christ. That is the depth of the love that Christ has for us. More so, in fact, the most famous verse in all Scripture, John 3.16. God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for us. Not just to die, but to be gruesomely murdered. Only to rise from the grave For the forgiveness of your sins. So that is why we see these types of texts and they're hard to swallow, but it draws an attention to our own personal salvation. Because here's where that one piece comes into play for that narrow door. It's not by your works. It's not by your behavior. But it's by the proclamation of your faith. If you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the grave, then you will be saved. And if you hold that belief until the very end, you will be saved. That's it. That's how you get through the narrow door. In fact, for the believer, it's not even a narrow door. The doors are bigger than the church doors back here. Because we have no troubles going through them. But for the unbeliever, it's smaller than a mouse hole. It's about like a crack in the floorboard big. In fact, they're more worried about their own self-righteousness, that they could care less about how big the door is, because in the analogy Jesus gives us in Matthew 7 is that they're traveling this broad road to destruction. So they don't care about how narrow the, road, the door is or how narrow the road is. And as a Christian, we can sometimes get really kind of fretted up over it. We can get really just tense and it's scary. Am I doing enough? Am I, am I a good enough Christian? Am I displaying my fruit? Would people know me to be a Christian? But here's the reality it's not by all of that. All of that's well and good, and it's needed. That's how the kingdom of God continues to spread around the world is by the works of the church. But for the individual to enter into heaven, it is by belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is why this opportunity is so vital in this short time that we have because let's face it, we all will soon perish. I hope soon in the definition of many, many years, But in the grand scheme of the existence of the world, we have such a very, very limited time frame. Many of us will live to 100. Many of us will live not to 100. Some of us might go in their 60s or 70s or 80s. And here's the other kicker to it all. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know if tomorrow's your last day. Today's your last day. You just don't know. But the belief in Christ is what is vital. So if you are closing in on that moment in your life and you look back and you say, I do believe in this. This is what has kept me strong all these years. Then salvation is still yours. In fact, it's even more complex of a web than just simply that because while we want to self-doubt ourselves, Christ exists above us and will will fulfill his promises that were given to us in our baptism, that are given to us in our sacraments of of the altar, and are given to us in the gospel. Whether we struggle with it or not, Christ is much stronger than our feeble attempts to justify that. So when we come to a text like this, we're reminded that life is indeed fragile and that we have very little control over it we know that he will return and we know that in this moment this time that we are given this blessing life of what we have is the opportunity to share with those around us that is the premise to the church sharing the gospel i won't take up too much more of your time but i was somebody had dropped off a box in front of the church door the other day and i thought it was quite interesting because it's a it's a whole ministry designed at Uh, growing the church. And I hadn't looked into it too deep, but I remember when I was back in Illinois and Janae and I were attending a bigger church and, and they had used a very similar message to what this box had detailed. And it was talking about who is your one person. And I thought that was interesting because see, in this text we have somebody jumping into our minds of That one person, I I wish they would come to church. It may not just be one, it could be a whole family, it could be groups of people. I wish they would just come and hear this promise. This life-saving promise. So Jesus tells us at the very end that the first will be last and the last will be first. An interesting notion as we conclude the time of judgment, Jesus will focus on those whom he loves first and deal with the workers of evil last. We have the privilege when we stand before our maker to call as Christ as our advocate because in only him with our faith are we saved. Only in Christ do we not have to worry about a difficult text like this because he goes before us through all of this and has handled all of this. And that is why it is vital for the Christian to continue to share that gospel. Share it with everybody you know. That's the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the freedom we have as Christians to go forward into this world and to be lights in a time of increasing darkness and evil. Amen.